Welcome to the Equity and Inclusion Podcast. This is David Wu, Director of Equity and Inclusion. Recently, I've been looking through some old yearbooks, and in the 1957 yearbook, on page 7, there's an interesting piece entitled Blast, and it says, October 30th, 1956, damages estimated $150,000 in the South Wing section of the new Lexington Catholic High School. The following pictures show damages and investigations after explosion of time bomb. And that is all the piece says. And there's a picture of bricks uh, on the ground. It looks like the building is, I don't know if it's partially uh, built. It's not completely finished. And I thought I would have Helen Whedon visiting with me to just have a little conversation. So thank you for coming in today, Helen. Well, I really wasn't here when that was going on, but my father-in-law was a city engineer at the time, and he had related this to me. And there were several reasons probably why this was bombed. One was there was a very anti-Catholic sentiment going on in Lexington at the time. Uh, There were only two church, well, there there were... the two churches downtown, St. Peter and Paul, probably St. Peter Claver, and Christ the King had just been established. Hmm. And, uh, or it was established in, in 47, I think, 46 or 47. So there, were, there weren't a lot of Catholics in Lexington. And one, the other reason that, that uh, could have been one of the the causes for the bombing beside the anti-catholic sentiment was that my father-in-law told me he got this property annexed into the city and at the time we had a city government and a county government and there could be two houses within what we now call the city would be called the city limits and one would be in the county and one would be in the city and if they had a fire, they could call the city fire department, and they'd say, I'm sorry, your house is in the county. You'll have to call them. Uh, so my father-in-law thought it was a real coup to get this property annexed into the city, and the city paid to build the sanitary sewers. His buddy was the mayor, Fred Fugazi, and Jack Cook was the city commissioner, and they were friends of his, and so... The, the three of them managed to get this property annexed into the city of Lexington. Uh, all of the surrounding homes were all on uh, sanitary sewers, I mean on um, uh, septic tanks. And so they were not happy that the city was paying to put sanitary sewers in for a Catholic school. Uh, mm. So that was, that was part of the bone of contention. Uh, and when I remember when I first came here in 1969, uh, I remember hearing of this bombing, and it was the what is now the science wing and the home ec building, hmm. home ec room was there too, and and uh, the library, and that was the wing that was bombed, and. Uh, I don't know, when they built it back, they put radiant heat in the floor. And so by noon, my feet would swell so <laughs> from being so hot that I'd have to sit on my desk to finish the day. 
Uh, but it it delayed the opening for a full year. Sounded like significant damage, $150,000 in, in the late days. 50s. That's in a those lot days. of money. Well, say the whole wing was pretty was totally destroyed. Wow. Uh, I think it's interesting that most staff and most uh, students have no idea about this history. No, no, uh-uh. And so, as far as we know, no one was ever uh, arrested or convicted. I don't think it was. They ever discovered who was who did it. So we have no idea whether it was a rogue person, a discontent person in the neighborhood, or someone in the government. And no, but it was more than likely due to the anti-Catholic sentiment in the area. Yes, I'd like to talk about that a little bit because okay. I feel like anti-anything sentiment. Is characteristic of our human condition. Mm -hmm. In the early days teaching here, you could go out, there was no parking lot in the front. Only parking was a little bit between the, the two wings, and that was mostly faculty. Students didn't have cars then. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the, uh, you could come out any day and find a brochure on your car from a church in Gardenside. I won't name which one because I'm sure they don't feel the same way today that they did then. But in the 60s and early 70s, there would be hate mail uh, or hate brochures on our cars and they would put them at, at Mary Queen too. Mm. Uh, and it was primarily to do with the uh, accusing us as, of being idolatry, uh, idolatrous uh, and worshiping Mary, uh, that Mary is not God, and we should not make Mary a God. But the, it, you could get one if, two or three days a week on your car that someone would come during the day and pass them out, put them on your windshield. Interesting. And uh, another time, uh, this was prob this was in the eighties. Uh, we had the statue of Mary that has now been replaced, but the original one was donated by Father Campson, the first principal of Lexington Catholic. And we always affectionately called her Our Lady of the Parking Lot. Mm -hmm. And one night, uh, a uh, truck came in, hooked a chain to her, and drug her all around the building. Uh. Broke her hand off and scarred her up, but she was repaired. And just in the last few years has she been replaced for a new Mary of the parking lot. Mm. Uh, you know, well, some of that misunderstanding ripples on even to today. Um, what might you say to our non-Catholic listeners about this idea that Catholics are idolatrous and they worship Mary? What, what are some of the canned answers that you would give? Well, we don't worship Mary as, as a god. We pay homage to Mary as the mother of God. And uh, I always used to tell my students that if they couldn't get me to do something, they would sometimes go to my son and say, would you ask your mom to do such and such? And you know, if my son asked me, very often I would do it. Uh, hmm. So I think a lot of times if a mother ask her son to do something. I know my sons will do almost anything I ask them to do. So I think that's, you know, that was the way I would explain it to my students, hmm. that we go through 
his mother to get to, to him. Although I think we, we all know we can speak directly to Jesus. Right. And give great consideration, you know, a, like a holy or sacred consideration yes. for the mother. We honor her as the mother of God. Right. And, and many Protestants would agree with that theology or would have nuanced, slight disagreements. But uh, I think that respect... For I think, that place of Mary is, is, is across the board with Christians if they read the same Bible. I think today it's, it is recognized even in most of the Protestant churches that we do not worship Mary as a god, but as the mother of, of God. And right. Well, I have some tough questions here that I don't know the answers to, but do you think there's a function to that ignorance or that misunderstanding amongst groups or amongst religious groups, um, you know, to drag the statue of someone so revered and to have the hand broken off, that's, that's a violent act. Um, any, any thoughts about that? Because uh, I think whenever a group is demonized or recognized by another group as wrong, it almost seems like it gives those people a justification to do things that we wouldn't normally allow. I don't know that it was all just against Mary when that was done, but uh, just, uh, again, an anti-Catholic sentiment, that this was a way to get back at Catholic. And who knows, it could have been a sports team that we had beaten. Mm -hmm. You never know. Uh, uh, And since they were never caught either, this was day before cameras all over the campus. Uh, no one ever knew who did it or why they did it. Right. So I can't really say that that it had a direct uh, response to uh, Mary, but it was a way to, to get back at Lexington Catholic. Right. Do you have any thoughts as to how to influence the community or some of these misunderstandings or disagreements for more positive outcomes? These are some of the tough questions. Well, I think I think sometimes we as Catholics have contributed to it. Uh, as, a, as a young girl in the Catholic school, we were not allowed to go to uh, a non-Catholic service we could only go to a wedding or a funeral. And I think, you know, we acted superior. Well, and in that time period, that isolationism across different denominations and different social groups maybe was even more pronounced. Okay. Even though some would argue that there is a resurgence in more of an isolation of group ideology today. Well, it's, it took the Second Vatican Council really to open the Catholic Church up. Uh, where, you know, I do, I do not think I could have been uh, influenced by by going to my neighbor's church with her when she would ask me to go. Mm-hmm. But I was not allowed to, simply because our church didn't. Catholic Church says no, you don't do that. Right. Uh, and I think you know that part of part of the prejudice is our fault. Hmm. for not being more open and inclusive of others. Uh, you know, 
if if one of the churches had in my little town had a, a, a dinner or something, uh, we weren't to go. You know, and that's ridiculous. Right. In, in today's world, I'm so some of it I think we are to blame for. And I think there's probably some of that guilt in every group, and which probably lends credence to a lot of the Pope's, current Pope's encouraging words to be a culture of encounter, to go out, to get out of the boat, to go beyond our comfort zone, to encounter the other person where they're at mm -hmm. with, uh, with love and dignity, even though there might not always be understanding at the beginning. Yeah. Well, and say, I've had the opportunity to participate in uh, Catholic Jewish dialogues. Uh, I was asked to speak at one of the Presbyterian churches here in town to discuss uh, the church position on homosexuality, for instance. And it was really funny because I was the one attacked. <laughs> because they did not think the church surely taught what I had said they did. Hmm. And it took a former priest to to say, yes, that is the teaching of the church. <laughs> so uh, <coughs> that was kind of funny. But one thing that I think might be interesting in this, and I, we hadn't discussed this, but I had to look up to find out when it was. But in 1985, the Final Four was held here at Rupp Arena. And it's the smallest town or city that the Final Four has ever been held in, even though Rupp Arena would hold as many as some of the domes. They've all been in domes since then. And three of the four teams were Catholic colleges. It was Villanova, Georgetown, St. John, and Memphis. And this was the day when the downtown was totally dead. Uh, many of the storefronts were empty because the malls had been built and the urban sprawl and so on. And in the empty storefronts were anti-Catholic sentiments all along Main Street. And so when all of these Catholic rooters for their teams were coming in, that's what they were met with. Mm. And the, the city government asked the property owners to get them out of the windows. And they said they had rented the space and they could not remove them. And they stayed in mm. place all during the, the tournament. Wow. And uh, so that just shows you it, it, isn't dead. it wasn't dead in 85. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I thought that was an interesting thing. And I remembered it happening, so I looked up to find out when it was. And it was in 1985. So, again, not that awful long ago. Right. Oftentimes in society, it almost seems like the game is whose dignity we can sacrifice. You know, whether it's a person of a certain religious group or a certain uh, gender or uh, ethnic racial group, if we can ridicule, mock, judge, condemn, and sacrifice the dignity of some so that we can feel better about ourselves, that seems to be the game. But that's such a such no. a damnable game, yes. right? There's well, no winner. It, it is that is bullying. <laughs> If I push you down, it makes me better. Right. And that's what bullying is all about. 
Well, hey, I wanted to um, bring up one counterpoint, uh, seeing as um, you were watching the news and living through the election of uh, JFK as our first Catholic president. And I'd like you to talk maybe a little bit about the pride or, or maybe from a Catholic perspective, you know, what was going on within the sentiment of uh, Americans seeing the first Catholic president and someone that was so widely popular, regardless of Catholic or non-Catholic mm -hmm. circles. Well, of course, he was the first Catholic president. And uh, we are entrenched in the Bible Belt where the anti-Catholic sentiment was, was rampant in the 60s. And I can remember, you know, articles and, and letters to the editor that if, if Kennedy were elected, uh, that the Pope was going to come over and take over this country mm. and that the Pope would be in charge. And this was the way that the, the Catholics were going to try to take over the world, take over this country and then the world, which, of course, is so ridiculous. But again, that goes back to, to uh, the, the fear of, of the unknown uh, and, and the prejudice. You know, even though prejudice seems to disappear at times, we have seen it come back in modern history. We've seen the white supremacists come back that we, we hoped were gone, but they're not. And, and so every once in a while that, that ugly prejudice raises its, <laughs> raises its head. And even when, when I say intellectually, I, I don't believe it, it, can, it still creeps back in. Even though I've tried to educate myself against certain prejudices, they, they seem to resurface right. for some reason. I don't know why, but they do. It, it's just the way things work. I, mm -hmm. I feel, I wish that all of our students, all of our teachers, all of our families had ingrained in our DNA that we need to check ourselves every single day, check our minds and our consciences before God. And because we can sometimes, you know, just slip off the path and not even know that yeah. we have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and no one's perfect and, and we need to be humble. But yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's, my mother told an interesting story to me one time. Uh, she, as a Catholic in a very uh, non-Catholic community, had a cross burnt in her front yard. And she was a little girl at the time and was, was in the barn tending her pony. And she happened to see the man take his hood off. Mm. And it was their neighbor. And when I was in high school, I was dating. Uh, I dated a boy one summer, not seriously, but we were just buddies. We went someplace every night, just friends. And his parents were friends of my parents, and they would come to. They played bridge with them. They'd come to cocktail parties at my parents' home, and they. He came up one night. And he said, "I can't see you anymore." And I said, okay, why, you know, but why? He said, my parents are so afraid I will fall in love with a Catholic. Mm. And I told mother about it, and she said, well, 
And that's when she told me the story. It was his grandfather that she saw take the hood off. Oh, wow. So it comes, it comes back. It's a direct ripple. Mm-hmm. A, a, a absolutely a ripple effect. That, and then another story I remember as a little girl, we went to a Catholic school uh, in, in Nelson County in Fairfield. It was a two-room schoolhouse that when all of my family got there, it became a, a three-room schoolhouse. And so my sister always laughed and said we were the original Kara because we would have several grades in a room. And I rode down on the school bus one day to meet my dad and, and you know, to go get an ice cream cone and then, uh, you know, ride home with him. And when the sisters that taught us were Ursuline sisters and they had the black habits and and the, the big bonnets, and and they rode down to do some shopping because there were two clothing stores in this little town. And so as I was getting off the bus, my teacher stopped me and said, you know, Helen, where is where is uh, Kaysen's department store? And I pointed down the street. Well, this man stopped me. He had not seen me get off the bus, I guess. And he said, what are you doing talking to those those witches? Mm. And I said, uh, what? And he said, don't you know they'll, they eat little children? Well, I went home, you know, I was in I was like second grade and I wow. went home and I told mother about it and she said, it's prejudice, and she explained it to me <laughs> that they just didn't understand, and that it was prejudice toward Catholics, and and not understanding what a religious sister was. That, and she said, and and sister will not eat you, I promise. Mm -hmm. But um, you know that uh, that was just <coughs> devastating to me as a little girl to to find out my teacher was going to eat me. <laughs> Right, but, and you to know, become aware of what other people thought yeah. of your teacher, who you respected. And yes, and oh, I loved her, and and uh, you know, so that I have seen the prejudice in my lifetime, in you know, from from seven years old to a teenager to an adult. Right, we just need to keep educating. The only thing we can do is educate. Well, thanks so much for sharing all the stories and uh, giving us some, adding some dimension and color to, um, you know, some experiences of the past that we know about and so much of it still is mystery. Um, and hopefully we can continue to unravel why there are, is an anti-whatever sentiment and how we can uh, uh, fight it while dignifying and supporting people. And we just remember we are all children of God.